Today on TechNado, we have an interview with Adam from ReadyTalk. We've also got some news to talk about with containers and another type of containers you won't want to miss. That's all coming up on TechNado, starting right now. Hello and welcome to TechNado. I'm your host, Peter Van Rysdam, and today we've got two new people here. We've got Daniel Lowry, who you've seen before at various events and in that chair. Yeah, I think, once in a while. <laughs> and, and we have Don Bazette here. How are you guys doing? Good. Occupying our chairs. Yes. Very good. Uh, you're doing a great job of that, by the way. Uh, so today we're, we're going to talk about the news, but we also have an interview coming up in a little bit. And this is someone, Daniel, you met at yes. uh, the Wildwood Hackenfest, right? The Wild West. Wild Hack. West. What did I say? Wet? Wild Wet Hackenfest. Wow, that's a totally a, different, that's conference. different conference. It's a weird conference, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of, well, yeah, of, uh, thinking of a different <laughs> conference that I went to. But uh, So who are we talking to? Um, his name is Adam. Uh, he's a cool guy. Talk to him a little bit about what he does, his company, and uh, how security, because we were at a security conference, Wild right. West Hackenfest, obviously. A security conference, how that fits into his role. Very interesting dude. I think he's got a lot of cool stuff to say. Sounds good. And I, and I should just point out as a little housekeeping note here, I was gifted um, this as an early uh, Christmas present. It is a, uh, a sound machine. I don't know if it's from Miami. Um, <laughs> but uh, we're going to try and uh, just see if, you know, if, if someone cracked a joke, I'll, I'll, I'll push a button here and, and Hit the laugh it'll, it'll react. So nice. uh, it'll replicate the sounds you're making at home uh, as, you, as you watch us. So with that in mind... Is it Don? a crying button? Uh, <laughs> there is, actually. Hold on. Let's see. The, the sound go. they're making at home. Yeah, that's, that's the current sound. Uh, that's, they're sad because they want the news. So, uh, there we go. Uh, I think we've, we've got a couple container-related stories. Uh, so what's the first one? All right. Containers are our theme. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of big news this week. I, I think Bitcoin was the biggest news. But as you all probably know by now, I think Bitcoin's pretty stupid. So, uh, so we're not going to report on that. But containers, on the other hand, is a very relevant technology. And our first news article is coming from the folks over at Twistlock who specialize in container security. Uh, they're, they're a phenomenal company, really knowledgeable folks. Uh, big CVE came out this week for, for uh, Kubernetes. That was a, I mean, just a, a massive flaw. And it was interesting because it was kind of like Apple's, do you guys remember um, a few months ago, Apple had where if you were prompted for uh, administrative privileges, you could type root as the user, no Nothing. password, yeah. and then it would just automatically elevate your privileges. Yep. That Good actually times. came from a bug post, like some developer post, like, hey, this isn't working, but I've got this workaround, and, and it wasn't reported as a security thing. That's how the CVE was, that a developer posted a, a bug in the system, and it turned out to be not just a little bug, but a full-blown root-level exploit of Kubernetes. So pretty significant one that was out there. Uh, Twistlock wrote up a great article that kind of explained exactly what, what was going on behind the scenes. And it's been patched at this point, but if you're running Kubernetes and you haven't patched in the last week and a half, 100% uh, hit, hit pause yeah, on this podcast because it's it's bad. What they say, uh, dogs and cats living together? Yeah, yeah, mass hysteria. <laughs> mass hysteria. <laughs> uh, so basically what happens is uh, Kubernetes is very API heavy, right? You call the API to do darn near everything. And what was happening was if you sent an API call and an error was generated, you got an error, right? So your session's kind of over. Except it held the TCP sessions open which meant that an attacker could then connect these open sessions and have the privileges that you had and basically be able to operate at any number of levels. And once that was capable, they were able to gain root access to the underlying infrastructure. And for something like Kubernetes, which is a container management platform uh, or you know just deployment yeah. and, and orchestration, once your orchestration platform is compromised, that's it. That's right? it. It's game over, right? Because now it's like, oh, is, is this your file system I'm looking through? Because it looks like your file system. Oh, your file system looks nice, too. I'm going to check that out. Uh, they, they're just keys, keys to the castle. Yeah. Right? And, and if you have access to somebody's container repository, oh. like I imagine the damage you could do there. Because now they could write an all-new application, but when they use a container image out of that repo and it's Back already got the exploit it. baked in, yeah. <laughs> you know, they roll it out. Yeah. That's, that's bad. So it was a really, really bad exploit that was out there. Patched very fast by the Kubernetes team. Yeah, good for them how quickly they actually jumped on this, right? Yeah. And, and you know, it's just it shows how cutting edge some of this container stuff is. And sometimes we hear about new technologies and it's small 
two-person, five-person teams behind it. Kubernetes has Google behind it. <laughs> so it shows where even the even the big dogs miss some things from time to time, uh, and that certainly is happening. Is this something that was um, discovered uh, the good way or the bad way? The good way being a, a nice person alerting them and, and letting them know, or everyone's data exploding? So as far as we know, it was discovered the good way, right? So um, I think I've got it pulled up around here somewhere. Oh, no, I don't. But uh, the actual CVE <laughs> was submitted. Actually, the Twistlog guys, I think, did here. Uh, so, uh, you know, they, they grabbed where uh, a developer had posted this, you know, proxy connection gets stuck on error response. And uh, the developer found it and posted it and said, here's this problem. And then it was turned into a CVE and they pushed a patch and all that. So that means it was detected a good way, not by malicious actors. However, how do we know? Like, I mean, malicious actors could have found this months ago because they, they don't report it, right? Yeah. So this could have been exploited, but usually you find evidence of that being exploited out there in the wild. But if it's a talented or you know, well-funded attacker, they could have been leveraging this and, and poisoning repos and things like, like I mentioned, and just nobody detected it. And now it's patched, but... If I manage to get in and have access to a repo, I'm going to build in some kind of backdoor facility into those images. So even if you patch this, that'll stop me from getting in this way. But now my backdoors will phone home, and and so the damage is done. So you still need to examine any any container images that you have, any containers you've already deployed. Uh, you know, look for any unauthorized changes to code. Hopefully, you've got a system in place that's doing code validation to make sure things match uh, and doing change control to check for that. But you definitely want to look. This was a pretty bad one. Well, there goes my weekend. <laughs> uh, all right, so what is our other uh, big container story? Big, big container. Story. All right, so uh, let's go to the the actual container terminology here, which is container. shipping containers, right? <laughs> this was a big deal, a funny one. Uh, ransomware is, is not news. If I told you guys, oh, XYZ company got compromised with ransomware, You'd say, all right, thanks, Don. Wasn't that last month and the months before and the months before? It's kind of like uh, you know data breaches. They're just so common. But container ships, the cargo ships that bring us all the great Christmas presents that we buy uh, in our consumer-driven society, uh, those are all computer-driven these days. They have navigation systems and other things that are all computer-driven. Uh, ZDNet ran an article on how several of them have been compromised with ransomware. And what's happening is their systems are air-gapped. So, you know, they, they don't have internet access when they're out cruising in the middle of the Atlantic or the Pacific. So when they do firmware updates, when they install their software to plot their navigation and so on, they use USB keys to move it over. And they're finding where the USB keys get infected and it infects these systems. Now, normally that's no different than any other computer, but I was kind of surprised to hear, apparently they don't give them paper maps anymore. <laughs> so they rely on these computers, and once they're hit with ransomware, they're dead in the water. They just have to sit there until the machines get repaired because they, they have no guidance anymore. Uh, I, I hadn't realized that ships had reached that level of, of reliance on computers. Isn't that like how we used to make fun of computer systems back in the day? Where, well, you're going to get so reliant on that thing. If it breaks, you're not going to know what to do. And, yeah, that kind of happened. <laughs> well, I, I just assumed that the, the, the freight liners were like airplane pilots, right? Yeah. Even if you are a civilian pilot, instrumentation. They, they require you, I believe it's every two months, to go and get updated maps. You have to have a paper map on you to fly a, to fly a Cessna plane one hour away. You have to have paper maps. It's required. You'd think you'd have to have that on a ship. I mean, yeah. You know, or at least Why a, wouldn't you want that is the question. Yeah. Because let's just, for instance, let's say you don't have access to your, I don't know, electronic maps. What would one do? It seems like the the contingency there would be, oh, we always have spare maps. Maybe they have a sextant, right? And so they they wait till nighttime, they can look at the stars. The the salty sea dog jumps (laughs) out and says, ah, we're going to make it. (laughs) I I don't know. If any of you out there are uh, freight ship Pilots, not pilots. Captains. Captains. Yeah. <laughs> let let pilots. us know. Is the because I just kind of assumed sextants were like uh, slide rules. Nobody learns yeah. how to use them anymore. But uh, you know, somebody's got to know how to the do purists. It. Yeah, I, I would think that you know if if they had like satellite internet or something, then they'd at least be able to have watched under siege yeah. and know that <laughs> this kind of thing is going to happen. Yeah, I yeah. mean that's essentially this is the plot of under siege. Well, plus yeah. if well, I, if I am a <laughs> A person who is on one of these ships and it takes all this amount of time, 
I'm going to assume one day maybe it could happen where we get stranded out there and I need to be able to navigate myself home, mm -hmm. whether it be in a life raft or whatever. I'm going to know how to do that. Yeah. And not just be like, mm -hmm. or if it's this a, is horrible. <laughs> if it's a critical system, at least have something like a Cronus True Image or something that like you yeah. restore, a backup hard drive, you pop in. Um, but you know, they were explaining uh, in the, the ZDNet article, they go on and, and explain how uh, basically the ship's at the stop. They'd have to get an IT person out there to repair it, uh, and it would delay the ship several days which amounts to over $100,000 in losses because of the delayed shipment. Like, mm. it's a big deal. You, you'd think, mm. uh, what is a, a license of a Cronus True Image? 50 bucks? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's less. Whatever yeah. it is, it's yeah, less, it's less than, than 100 grand. grand. Yeah. Yeah. You'd, you'd think they would plan for that. I, I have to imagine this is an example of just running on a shoestring budget. You know, yeah. a lot yeah. of those companies are trying to get their, their cost to the bare, bare minimum. And this is one time where they get bit. Yeah, they're just assuming they're not vulnerable but uh hope is out. not a strategy though everybody <laughs> well, i mean that, it, these were uh, these were companies though uh that were targets of actual pirates <laughs> so yeah. you would think actual that pirates. you know that we're, we're still susceptible <laughs> yeah. to uh yeah. people know yeah. that, that our companies have money we should uh, be watching out for these things but i guess the moral of the story is it can happen to you regardless of who you are so you know, are they doing anything to prevent... When I hear about ship piracy like that, it's usually the big oil tankers, mm -hmm. right? Because they yeah. only have a couple of people on them. Seems like a cargo ship like this would be a pretty good target too, right? Yeah, Wasn't they could have the cargo. Yeah, the, uh, Captain yeah. Phillips yeah exactly, movie? yeah. Oh, I didn't see it. Tom yeah, it was, it was a cargo ship. Yeah, I just, I'm the captain now. Yeah. What? Tom Hankst out, you know? Just oh, Tom <laughs> Hankst out. I just but it was a true story. hate classic like Sully. American. Yeah, well, I was about to say, and then he lands a plane in the river, yeah. and then he's stranded on an island. I mean, how much of this guy can I take? <laughs> I'll stick with Big and... Uh... Turner and Hooch. <laughs> if it had been Jeez. Tom Cruise, you'd be in. Or Robert Langdon. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say Tom Berenger. Oh, yeah. Tommy B. <laughs> uh, all right, so our next story, it's a, it's a good, uh, appropriate story for the holidays, which are, uh, are coming up here. A lot of shipping... Um, Hopefully, if it gets off the container ship uh, from China and then it uh, gets to Amazon and they send it to me, I have to worry about it being stolen off my porch. So, <laughs> Don, what are they doing about that these days? All right. Engadget ran an article. The, the headline is, Police are using fake Amazon boxes with GPS to catch thieves. Every holiday season, we hear about this. Uh, there was actually an incident right here in Gainesville just a couple of weeks ago uh, where people are stealing boxes off of people's porch, right? So the, the UPS guy comes around or the, the regular postal service, and they drop your package off of your front door, and they drive off, right? Well, people sometimes will steal the packages off the front door. A lot of people are buying ring doorbells or um, Nest. Nest ones, uh, yeah. Wait, is ring, ring is Nest? There's... Or? Separate, Nest Hello, Nest, Nest, I think, right? Yeah. Is that what there's? All right. So, anyhow, there's a number of doorbells. They're cheap now. They used to be expensive. Now it's 100 bucks. Have you um, hacked mine yet? I know you said you were going to. No. <laughs> no. Okay. I, I don't have one myself. I, I want to get one. Um, but people have these doorbells, so they get footage of the people stealing packages. And so, what police are doing now are creating fake Amazon packages, or you know, they're just taking actual boxes and sticking GPSs in them so that when somebody steals the package, they can track it down and figure out where they are. The story here in Gainesville was was funny. So here, here's the uh, WCJB report on it. We had two people, Gelanie, uh, Gelanie, Melanie. Gary and Melanie. I just turned into a Gelanie, Hollywood yeah, blended bro. name. So Gelanie. <laughs> Brangelino. Uh, <laughs> so, so, uh, so what they were doing was stealing packages, and somebody had a Nest doorbell and captured it perfectly. I mean, you can, you can make out her face pretty well there, uh, but captured them just walking up, taking the package, and it happened enough that they, they reported it, and the police were able to track them down and arrest them. So this is going to be a pretty common thing. Uh, having that doorbell is pretty handy, but Peter, you had a pretty funny story from Halloween because you put out candy yeah. on your doorstep, and you have one of those doorbells, right? Yeah, so, so I was really excited. I had, the, uh, I had a, a party to go to with my daughter, so I said I'm going to put out a little bit of candy. Uh, I put a note on it said... Um, Please take one. I said, take one or I will haunt you after I die. I wanted to really uh, get these kids. <laughs> so I checked in about 6.30, and I can see the whole thing there. I, I checked. And then I get a motion sensor about, uh, about 7 o'clock. And I and so I, I bring it up and and looks at the live video and it it's a couple uh, little girls going oh they're out of candy like what happened in between here because you're supposed to get the motion sensor yeah. so there's a ninja 
in my neighborhood. So if, if I'm missing packages, I don't even know. Yeah. Like that's how good they are because I don't know the package was even delivered because they're probably taking out the UPS driver. But that's the thing, too. Yeah. They're they're following the drivers is what they say. Wow. Is, you know, really? So they know that, hey, you just got something because I'm in the neighborhood watching that truck down they the road. They strap and, up the back brace. Yeah. They're like, yeah. oh, this is going to be good. good one. Yeah. <laughs> I got to get my back brace on, too. I'm about to get a washer dryer. Yeah. You know, my, my wife signed up for this uh, United States Post Office service, and we have, I think it's called UPS Now or something like that, where we get notifications the moment the packages drop off at our door. And we even, we're notified ahead of time that a package is coming our way. So, I like, get that now. Yeah. without tracking, if you were to just write a letter and send it to us, we actually get a notification that one's on the way. Yeah, when I, when I moved recently and I changed my address, it asked me if I wanted to sign up. It might, it might be that same service. But every day I get an email with photos of the actual yeah. mail. Yeah, that's well, Vivian was showing me that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I never knew about that till I moved. So I don't know if it's something, if you probably just go on UPS.gov, you can probably find out about it. But um, it's nice. Is it UPS or USPS? You, I'm sorry, USPS. Okay. Yeah. Uh, now, UPS has a similar service. Gotcha. And you know, I've gotten... I, it's not even doorstop thieves for me, though. Like, I've gotten uh, letters in the mail where somebody mailed me a gift card, and the gift card was taken out of the envelope. But I still get the envelope. You know, the, <laughs> the, the, the postal service will put it in a little plastic bag and, and send sorry. it to you. Here's yeah. your money. Yeah, yeah, with a sorry note. Yeah, but it's like, you took it because <laughs> hey, where's your, where's your, your hands, hands this entire time. Oh, yeah, my bad. I'm sorry. That's disappointing. Oh, no, that, that's uh, – sorry. That should have been the the like the sad trombone yeah. one. I, I'm going to work this all out. This, this, we're, we're still in beta on this, but uh, I mean this this whole problem though. Uh, and I'm glad that they're doing some proactive stuff around it. So maybe it'll just make people think twice before they do something like this. But I mean, the answer that Amazon's come up with is that service where they'll put it in your home, where where they have uh, oh yeah, to your, they open your, your door, uh, your door lock. And I mean, we're probably going to see something like that. Like that. I wouldn't be surprised if there's more and more inventions, though, of like a box that sits outside with a lock. That I mean, so, they have I some mean, of that now. You can make that easily. You could and just stick a yeah. lock on it that's open. They put the box in, they close the lid, they lock the lock. Only you have the key to it. Now I'm or smart. We, I'm gonna come yeah, back and lock it lock. ahead of time. Mm-hmm. When, so when they oh, come, oh yeah. <laughs> or if you, I mean, you could. Yeah. If you have a garage, you could put one of those keypads on the outside yeah. and send the key code. Or um, uh, there's actually some mobile phone apps you can use. So you open the garage, yeah, have a leave garage in the garage. On Amazon, since they bought, um, was it Fresh Market or whatever they bought? Um, Whole Foods. Whole Foods. They, they have, have lockers, lockers there, so you can just send it there. You can do returns yep. there as well. Very hmm. exciting. So I can go get very overpriced peas and... Very. Uh, 600 bucks. Get my, yeah. <laughs> a a pound? return a cup. Yeah. Do, you have to, do you have to package it first, or can uh, you just take the... Yeah, I think you just throw it. You just <laughs> yeah. slow down and throw it. <laughs> We got it. I'll have to look into that. I uh, uh, ordered a wrong present for Christmas, so I got to go and change it. All right. Well, uh, (laughs) I think we have that interview. We probably want to go ahead and get to now. So let's go ahead and do that. And reminding us, this is this is Adam, and he's with he's with Ready Talk or the company that owns Ready Talk. He's with Ready Talk. I mean, the the parent company is PGI, and uh, most people would know them as uh, Global Meat is their their conferencing solution that they have. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at that right after this here on TechNATO. I'm James Packer. I'm the general manager of Kirk ISS based in the Cayman Islands. I used IT Pro TV extensively in my last place. It grew very well, helped upskill the team. I had 110 engineers in the field and we had dozens of IT Pro accounts with the guys training and last year alone they passed over 40 certs by using the online training. I think I can safely say um, without IT Pro TV I wouldn't be where I was today because I only got this job on the back of the qualifications I have. All right, welcome back, everybody, and it is interview time here at TechNado, and I'm, I'm excited for this week's interview. We have Adam Shamblin, who uh, is uh, an active software developer that Daniel had the chance to meet out at the Wild West Hack and Fest conference this year, and, and last year, actually uh, encountered him on more than one occasion. So we're going to get in and talk to him and learn a little bit more about his path in IT and the work that he's doing with ReadyTalk and a few other really, really cool things to just see other people out there working in the IT industry. So, uh, Adam, thank you for joining us. And for our viewers who aren't familiar with you, would you mind taking a moment just to kind of introduce yourself and, and give a, a little background on who the heck you are? <laughs> oh, sure. Uh, my name is Adam Shamblin. I live here in Denver, Colorado. Um, I work for ReadyTalk, uh, which was a couple of years ago acquired by PGI. Um, and we work in the voice and video space. 
Now, are you a, uh, uh, were you involved in like the founding of ReadyTalk or are you just an engineer on that project? Uh, no, not at all. ReadyTalk is about 15 years old, if I'm not mistaken. I only joined uh, a little over a year ago. All right. And, you know, that that space, ReadyTalk, uh, it's a, a conferencing system. So you're able to, to do video conferencing and streaming like we've seen with some other products that are out there. I, we talked a little bit before the show because here at, at, at TechNATO, we, we have bounced off of a number of different products over the years. So give us a, a little bit of background on ReadyTalk and then a little bit of background on what it is you do for them. Sure. Um, like you say, ReadyTalk's been around a little while and has, has kind of been a, a popular company in, in Denver Um just with a strong engineering culture. Uh, PGI picked ReadyTalk up to um, kind of bring that culture in-house uh, and to really just kind of, oh God, I'm going to say it, leverage existing synergies. Forgive my uh, nice. no, yeah. we gotta, enterprise. We got to work yeah. a paradigm in there. <laughs> um, and, and that's exactly what we've been doing. Uh, with that, uh, PGI has long offered uh, desktop voice and video conferencing for business um, and used the opportunity of joining with ReadyTalk to start a new version of what we call GlobalMeet, which is our desktop uh, video application. And you mentioned Zoom or BlueJeans. It's, it's very similar to that in a lot of ways um, or, or uh, you know, WebEx, you know, the ones. Um, but where we focus tends to be on not only really solid audio and video, but um, a design and UX focus as well. That's kind of what Denver's gotten to be known for anyways, is strong UX uh, development. Um, and that's what we do here. So, so many of these applications work pretty well, but might be a bummer to use. Uh, we want to work very well and be delightful to use. So, uh, Adam, is that exactly what you do for uh, ReadyTalk? Is do you design UX or what is your role with, with them? So I joined a, a year ago as a senior software engineer, and I work on uh, primarily on the desktop application itself, which is uh, uh, an Electron uh, installed desktop application that's based on web technologies. Um, I'm not a designer, uh, and you'd be really bummed out if I tried, but the front end has gotten so complex that even your front end has a back end. So I tend to focus on interactions between desktop and server or uh, moving to a desktop application using web technologies, um, working in electrons like working on traditional web, but only like working on traditional web. Um, so there's a lot to focus on there. Now, more recently, um, I got tapped to help with our new initiative, which is to work into the unified communication space. So that's to take um, the offering that ReadyTalk and PGI have traditionally had and add to it um, unified communications. Uh, and that would be phone, PBX capabilities, and chat with presence. So I broke away from the team early in the project um, to get involved there. Uh, and then I joined the office of the chief architect of PGI. So I'm only recently um, a senior architect uh, for PGI as well. So that has me still developing code, but also um, I'm frequently on call to participate with other teams, um, talk about how they want to solve problems, um, make suggestions, uh, be a resource for them as well. All right. Now, you mentioned uh, earlier you said synergy, right, which is a, a buzzword. And, uh, but then <laughs> he didn't say then, corporate synergy. <laughs> uh, he didn't. He didn't. But he did say electron. And, and for me, that's yeah. a that's a big, big flag right there. So the the world is very, very divided right now. There are people who love electron because it's easy to go multi-platform. And there are people that absolutely hate electron. So you're, you're somebody who works in this professionally every single day. I'd love sure. to get your take on it. Like what, what's your opinion on, on electron and what it, what's good about it? What's bad about it? Um, gosh. Yeah. Cause I love it and hate it both. What's good <laughs> about it? Uh, it is a very approachable platform to start building desktop applications. Um, you know, a couple of hours and you're going to have a shell that's running and maybe a bit of a starting strategy for how you're going to build your application. And of course it's popular because web development has gotten so popular over the last several years. I mean, when I started in the early 2000s, we were web developers and we were sorry, you know, like, yeah, I'm a web dev now, but I would really rather be doing X. Um, now all the cool stuff's uh, web development and the market's flooded. So um, 
yay, great. We get to leverage that talent while producing desktop applications. Um, where things get rocky working with Electron um, could be in the strategy itself. Um, after you get started, how do you live with this application? How do you deploy it? What does building look like? Um, and how do you add to it? You know, a, a, a coworker of mine was being self-deprecating, talking about his own work, saying that his software development was like building a house of cards when he didn't realize that the bottom of the deck of cards was bricks. Um, I thought that was pretty cute, but really the point being is that it, you being new to the platform, um, you might not be able to navigate long-term strategies of living with your software. So it can be difficult there. It also comes with a little bit of overhead right away. Um, you're picking up Chromium and a lot of extra tooling. Um, so your download size for the binary can be big right away and you kind of have no choice but to build up from there. What's your, been your experience as far as performance, though? Because I've seen it across the board, and uh, I, I was trying a, a text editor the other day. Actually, I, I was trying an Electron-based terminal just a few days ago called Hyper, or Hyper yeah. Terminal. And, uh, you know, with that one, if you fired up the terminal and just let it sit there idle, it was cruising at like 20% CPU load. So uh, from your perspective, has, has performance been good working with that, or, or is that a challenge you fight it with? Uh, it is a challenge, and, and it's one we kind of deal with every day now. We're pretty far down the road. The product has been out for, this iteration has been out for a little over a year, um, and and it is a concern. Not only that, as we, we participate with other teams, so we will open new windows that provide additional content that's not built within the core team. Um, yeah, I hate to say it, but there there are times when you're just spiking. And we're trying to figure out what that is. And some of that is Chrome tuning um, because underneath it all is Chromium. Um, we the, the Electron team doesn't necessarily work with the Chrome team. It's usually a couple of revisions behind. Um, and there are certain decisions that have to be made. One that we're looking at right now is around hardware acceleration because we are producing video, but it's streamed video we're not rendering. Um, it's if you're I run Mac here, a lot of our developers do, and you'll see that our application running now will ask for um, what's called a high performance GPU. And so the demands are definitely there and it's something we have to manage. Um, and it's not something you have necessarily a tremendous amount of control over. You know, we're not reaching into Chromium and modifying it to make it more performant or to cut weight. Um, a lot of it falls on us. And um, some of it just comes with the platform. Now, I've heard arguments different ways on this one, um, but the reality is that most people have plenty of extra CPU power laying around that they're not using, so it doesn't impact most people. But would you say, all in all, you, you've been happy with that platform? Like, that's is that a, a pain point, or you're glad because it, it gives you additional functionality? I, I think it's good. Um, you know, we, we rely heavily on web standard technologies across the board. So to put us in the browser, um, you know, we, we rely on uh, WebRTC very heavily, um, and it's all there. I think the pain points can be waiting for new revisions to come out. Uh, Electron's usually pretty, like a, a revision or two behind the latest Chrome release. Um, and it's a position I don't like to be in where kind of just waiting, hoping we're going to get a new version of Chromium soon. Um, but no, I, I think the trade-offs are pretty fair. Uh, to be able to take a large talent pool, put them to work effectively right away, um, it requires some care and feeding, but I can't say I've ever been on a project that doesn't. <laughs> that is a valid point. No no platform is perfect. Now, uh, right. you, know, you had a chance to meet Daniel at a Wild West Hacking Fest, which is a security conference. And <laughs> I think you guys attended like a Burp Suite course or something like that together. Yeah, we did a... Uh, yeah. um, uh, like a penetration testing uh, web applications uh, course. Yeah, with Jim Towns. Yep. So, what was uh, what, what was the reason you went for that? Are, are you responsible for? Was it just like learning general secure coding practices, or you were debugging your own applications? What What was the motivation to go there? I, I went to the first one for a few selfish reasons, and one of them simply is that my wife's family is from Deadwood and I have a son, grandson who lives there. So I was like, wow, it's a cheap conference and I can stay with family. Um, no, I've been working on the web since, um, you know, I first started writing HTML in the late nineties. And as times progressed, you know, there's, I, I know where the bodies are buried. Um, and so security <laughs> is a, security is a, is a personal concern. Um, first, uh, as an engineer, I kind of feel 
obligated and responsible uh, to be aware even beyond any mandate that might come from my company. Um, but boy, security is in the news all the time now. I don't know that we're getting better at it. Uh, the developers around me are frequently just overwhelmed by the topic of security and uh, being a, you know, a gray beard in the industry. Um, I feel like it's up to me to step out and learn more security on my own. Uh, and what better way than to go to a conference, especially, I mean, Wildwest Hack and Fest is only in its second year, but it's put it together by just the right people. You know, it's it's uh, John Strand and Black Hills uh, InfoSec. Um, for starters, they attract a lot of a talent, uh, a lot of talent around them. Um, and and what I find in approaching security is that it, it is daunting, but it's not just daunting to me or my colleagues. It's daunting to everyone. Um, so it's a pretty positive community grows from that shared need. Um, long answer to a short question, but <laughs> I, I, I will continue to go to this conference out of pocket, even if it's not part of my job function, because, um, well, because security is part of my job function, whether somebody lays it on me or not. And I, I think that's a great point that you bring up uh, is that even though you're not specifically in the security space, you are trying to make sure that because it is so daunting that you are aware of the things that we need to be aware of, no matter what position you're in in a, in a company or if you use a computer, you need to know something about uh, security and attending things that are very accessible, much like Hackenfest. And it was so interesting. Uh, and this year I found how big the, the scope was now as far as like who was attending. It wasn't just security officials, uh, professionals so much as it was people that were just realizing I need to know more about security and to see you, you're, you're a developer or, and you work in the development space to say, Oh, well, I'm going to go in here. I'm going to see what's on the table right now so that I can better prepare myself to do that job effectively and have good security with what I do. That that's a good thing. And I think more people need to take, um, take that cue. Yeah, and, and that uh, are you finding that sentiment is shared by like the rest of your your dev team, or is it? Because I always worry about your, your security is only as strong as the weakest link, right? right? So you might have a team of five developers, and one is super security conscious, but then the other four aren't, and so it doesn't really matter how much work you do; it gets undermined by the work the others do. So, do you find that shared amongst the rest of the community you work with? Um, well, I, I see it improving. Um, at the very least, I think developers are more aware that they that they're subject to security. If that if that makes sense, I mean, we we write a lot of codes. So we spend a lot of time writing bugs, um, <laughs> I, but it, it's still it, it's still slow to adopt um, frequently. And it's and it's not even their fault, right? When I say security to a development team, what do they hear? I think they just see this big impenetrable wall that is security. Um, they don't know the little steps about where to start input validation, you know, how to prevent certain kinds of attacks or what those attacks are. Um, but I think increasingly, you know, teams are aware of the OWASP top 10, perhaps the SANS top 20, which maybe goes a little bit beyond, uh, development itself. And I'm finding more recently that developers are more willing to listen when I start talking. So that, that's, that's a start. Um, and I'm finding allies on the team. Um, I just, before this uh, interview, came out of a, a prioritization meeting uh, with the team I work with. And uh, the team themselves, outside of me, you know, playing Chicken Little, are starting to say, hey, you know, I realize that there are some concerns we have here. Is it time to start addressing these? Um, and you mentioned Zoom. Uh, Zoom had a CVE on their application, uh, what is it, last week or the week before. Uh, we became aware of it. Some of our sales team definitely wanted to crow about it. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Uh, really, all that demonstrates is that uh, maybe video applications share a threat model, and it's something to be aware of. Um, and if one CVE is out there, CVE is out there, then that could mean that you know there's rising interest in our area uh, could mean that malicious actors are going to start looking at our applications more closely. Let's let's take this seriously. Let's do something now. Is that getting you more buy-in from the powers that be to say, yeah, we do need to focus more on security. Let's do uh, you know make sure we're doing at least one penetration test a year, doing vulnerability assessments more often. Are you seeing that happen? 
I am. And the support from our management is tremendous. Um, we're an agile shop. We do try to employ a guild system um, and we have a security guild. Uh, usually when you join a guild, it means you have an additional job on top of the job you already have. So it can be hard to manage that. But I'm finding that when we raise concerns, uh, management is giving us a tremendous amount of, res uh, of support and often in the form of dollars. Uh, but then it falls on us to follow through on that effort. You know, it'd be great if I could just say, hey, wait a minute, there's a problem. And then everybody swarms to solve it. And it just doesn't work that way. You know, you have to, if you identify the problem, you're often now responsible for solving that problem. And that's <laughs> fun. That, that, that can be a lot of fun. Um, so at PGI, I think we're moving forward. And if we are, I have to assume other companies are as well. All right. Now let's, uh, let's go back in time a bit because... Uh, in, in every IT person's career, there comes some point where they have to choose what area they're going to focus on. And obviously, you, you became a developer. So what what led to you choosing that career? Because I know I, I did a couple of uh, – I have a, a bachelor's in, in CIS, and so I had to take a programming language. I did a few semesters of uh, Visual Basic, which is yep. practically worthless now. But I remember one night, I, I couldn't solve a problem. I woke up at like 3 in the morning, and I thought of the answer. I was like, I know how to fix it. And it was that moment that I said, I am not going to be a developer. That's not <laughs> oh. for me. So what, what, what happened for you that said, this is the career I want to go for? Well, I have those moments, and I'm pretty stoked about it when it happens. Um, <laughs> You know, I didn't think I was going to be able to get to be a developer because I don't have uh, a BS in computer science. I don't have a degree at all. Um, and I found I was a bad student and functioned poorly in an institutional environment. And as smoothly as I say that, you can tell I've practiced that statement. Um, <laughs> but in, in the late 90s, I this is my second career uh, through the 90s. I was uh, I worked in log and timber construction, um, hence you know, this. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was I was gifted a computer and was immediately absorbed into it um, enough that, you know, I I worked in timber because that's what my family did um, and it was very good work. But I was immediately enamored with these machines, even then when they were kind of, you know, I think my first was a Pentium 100 you know, turbo button. Um, but without a degree, I didn't believe that I would ever get to code for a living. Um, so I, but I did want to work with these machines. Uh, I got an A plus certification from a local community college, uh, which was really being pushed at the time that there was a tremendous demand for people who could work on these machines. Um, and I bought into it. I said, well, I like to code and I was learning to code. I was coding Perl. Um, but yeah, I didn't believe that anybody would give me per a job. Anybody would give me permission to do that work for a living. Um, so we lived in the mountains near Aspen, moved to Denver, and I started taking work in first and second level support. Um, however, every night, um, sometimes to the annoyance of my family, I would sneak off into the back room and start plunking around. Within a couple of years, I had moved from Windows 98 to uh, Slackware Linux. Um, great platform for developers learning um, and just kept working on Perl. Uh, Perl was the lingua franca of the web at the time. Um, so it was pretty easy to start learning CGI PM and picking up web development. Um, and I got a job at a company who's headquartered, big company headquartered here in Denver, Aero Electronics, on their first level support answering phones. Uh, they, they paid very well. I was able to buy my first house just answering phones, but I got pretty bored pretty quickly fixing people's um, email. Mm. Um, I talk a lot, though, and I find that that's worked for me. Um, so my boss knew that I was learning Perl. And in the meantime, at lunchtime, I, I, I worked for first level support, but I was surrounded by engineers, systems administration, uh, system administration, Java developers, some COBOL developers, but they, you know, sudden movements, they were skittish. I, I stayed away from them. Um, and I would spend my lunchtime interviewing anybody who would who would let me take their time. And I would ask them, you know, what do you do and what did you need to know to do it? And I started to find out that not everybody I was working with had advanced degrees, um, that maybe there were opportunities for me to go further than, you know, first, second level support, account administration, all great jobs, just something I was really realizing I didn't necessarily want to do. Um, 
In the meantime, the need for back then for Perl programmers to do report writing uh, in an enterprise setting was um, that was still a job. It was Crystal Reports was uh, brand new if it existed at all. Uh, and because I made my my manager aware that I wanted to code, uh, when the need arose, um, they lent. I was lent by the help desk to a development team as a novice developer to start kind of picking up some slack. Uh, it was a tremendous opportunity. Um, and well, she showed up on my desk one day with a yellow post-it note and said, Adam, you can code Perl, right? And the answer when an opportunity falls in your lap is obviously always yes. Uh, so I said, yes, ma'am, I, I can certainly um, can certainly write Perl. She says, I need you at this address on Monday morning. And, and so I did. That's awesome. So, I mean, it's almost like the uh, apprenticeship style learning, right? Yeah. You got a chance to get in there and uh, learn by doing, which is, is one of the, the best ways to do it. Now, I've always you, said. <laughs> so you, you really cut your teeth on Perl. What's the primary mm -hmm. language you're writing today? Well, you, JavaScript. <laughs> Definitely JavaScript. Um, JavaScript and I work in Angular a lot, so we're also using TypeScript. Uh, and if you're not familiar, that's a Microsoft project that's um, a... Uh, a type, uh, I guess a type safe or a, a typed language similar to JavaScript um, that transpiles into JavaScript. And do you find that you're, uh, I mean, obviously with a lot of video conferencing stuff, you've got applications that run natively on the client, but you mentioned you, you do web application development as well. Like which, mm -hmm. which model do you find you're, you're more active in, the client space or the uh, uh, hosted type solution? Anymore, uh, a lot of client work. Um, so much of the so much of the work now is done on the client side. Client side applications or client side web applications have gotten um, very complex, maybe maybe even too complex. While backend applications, they're not rendering content so so much anymore. They've been reduced to REST APIs, and a lot of business logic is handled on the client side for good or for ill. Uh, so there's a lot of work there. Now, it's been a little while since I've had to write any CSS or HTML. Um, more often than not, the, the managing the complexity of moving through a single page application that, you know, is designed to be highly interactive um, requires a lot of background work. Uh, and I've found a pretty comfortable place there. Um, now, that being said, I don't do it a lot for PGI, but for other companies, um, you know, Python is making its, well, Python's growing all the way across uh, the market, um, and some folks are starting to take it on for their back ends as well. Um, and so that's an awful lot of fun. You know, Perl's not really around on the web anymore. I think it's still got plenty of places where it's used in system administration. Um, but there's a lot of other really good choices for back end uh, development as well. And of course, Node, Node.js, um, where again, we can leverage strong front end JavaScript web developers and get them writing services on the server side in JavaScript. Um, it's, it's pretty good as well. Yeah, and unfortunately, some of those platforms have, uh, I mean, they give you great power, right? But they've also created a lot of complexity and a bigger attack surface and things that the companies are dealing with. But it is neat to have so many options. And, you know, when I asked the question about uh, client-side or, or server-hosted, you had already said Angular, and I didn't think about it, where Angular... Yeah, it loads from the server, but it's really running on the client. So yeah. sometimes that line is really blurred between client versus hosted anymore. Um, it's almost it's almost not true to say something <laughs> is server hosted these days. But. Right. Well, browser as a platform is expanding. Um, I, I, I think all eyes are on it now. The capabilities that are being released in new revisions of the browser is, is uh, out of hand. I never would have predicted it. Yeah, and uh, I think Google really emphasize that with their Chromebook, where when, when I first heard about the Chromebook, I'm like, why, why would you buy a laptop that can only run a web browser and that's it? That, that just doesn't seem like that would be worth spending money on. But if you think mm -hmm. about it, for most users at the end of the day, everything they do is, is embedded in the web browser. And if you've got Chrome or any kind of Chromium derivian, uh, which... Uh, Derivian? Is that even a word? Derivian. Yeah, derivian. Cool. There we go. I think I made one up. Um, where you know you've got Microsoft Edge that's moving over to using Chromium as its uh, rendering engine. So you know now that things are a little more consistent like that. Derivative. That's the derivative. Word. There that's we the go. Word. So uh, English is my second language yeah. after nothing apparently. So, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's it's an interesting changing world. It's cool to to speak to somebody who who you know actively wanted to become a developer, sat out there and did it, 
uh, and went a pretty creative way. I, I think well, that's I, really cool. I, I really like that, you know, because it was very organic. It was you saw opportunity and you put yourself in the way to be a part of that opportunity and you took advantage of it. Um, a lot of people that I know that are successful are, are doing what it is they want to do. They did exactly that, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I heard a lot of my own story in yours. I'm sure, Don, you probably picked up some of that as well, where I, I remember my first IT job. They asked me if I knew all these different technologies. I was like, no. <laughs> and they said, ah, you'll get it. And I was like, oh, man. But I this did. Style show up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and there's one big piece, though. And I, I have a chance to talk at a local high school each year for the Hour of Code. And they want to know how, you know, how to go forward. And I think a big one is opportunities. You know, if you're lucky, an opportunity will just fall in front of you. But nobody can give you what you want if you don't tell them what it is. Right. Um, and I think that's super important, too, is one thing is keeping an eye out for those opportunities. But the other is, I think, outwardly communicating. This is a direction I want to go or this is something I want. Um, and if you can articulate that, it's remarkable how much the world seems to want to conspire in your favor for you to get it. Awesome. Well, it's a great story. I, I have uh, kind of monopolized the conversation with questions here. So as we start to wind down the interview, were, were there any topics that you wanted to hit on? Oh, gosh, I could spend the rest of your day. And I know you're uh, you know, limited for time. Um, no, I, I, I don't know that I do. Um, you know, except that as I become more aware of IT Pro TV, um, particularly, I mean, it's popular amongst our system administrators. Um, you know, I hope you guys are pushing into development as well. Um, just see you guys in more places. Yeah, you know, we've started, we've actually got a, a pretty decent sized Python track that's been uh, being worked on over the last year. And because we're, we're always trying to decide, like, what what is the best technologies to focus on in the developer sure. space? There is so much great training out there, uh, and, and a lot of it even just free in various mm-hmm. places. Developers learn differently than than a lot of other careers, so it's, it's an interesting one. But uh, we have Justin, one of our other edutainers. He, he's on the, the podcast from time to time. Mm-hmm. Uh, we brought him on just because we needed somebody with that developer mind to figure mm-hmm. out what, what to create. So that focus has been on Python um, and JavaScript, which I think are, are two of the bigger languages right now. Massive. Yeah, massive. And Python's permeating, I mean, the entire industry now. I think in security is that so many of the security tools are written in Python. Yeah. And thanks to the whole DevOps movement now, you don't just have sysadmins anymore and you don't just have developers. Now you have people who are screwed no matter what their background is. (laughs) You're guaranteed to have to support something you don't know how it works. Sounds familiar. <laughs> you know, uh, speaking of, and uh, just not to go off on too much of a tangent, but in your development environment, are you do you do containerized applications? Are you working with like Docker in your dev environment, or do you just do native application development and then push that into production? Well, a big part of what we're doing is native, is because it's installed on a desktop. But no, we are all in on containers, uh, Kubernetes, and just autom- automation in general. Anything that's going to support it. Um, so. Uh, a significant amount of the new development at PGI is all um, pipelines first. Uh, Jenkins, um, configuration as code committed with a repo. Um, even our testing and, and build servers are themselves uh, Docker, sometimes Docker containers with another container as a sidecar. Um, so really just working in tandem to see um, our builds go out. Um, right now, KubeCon is going on right now and all of our SREs there. Uh, are there right now, um, even expanding that knowledge. So yeah, we're we're all in on containers. Sometimes the division uh, between ops and development is still there. Now we just throw a container over the wall instead of some code. Um, so it runs it works a little better that way. But yeah, we're we're in there. Awesome. Well, Adam, I really appreciate you spending time with us. If any of our viewers want to learn more about you and and your company, things that you're doing, what what's the best place for them to follow you? Sure. Well, you can't go wrong with globalmeet.com to find um, our application. And if it's something that can, global meet something that can work for your business. Um, but then I can be found uh, uh, slash adam.shamblin at LinkedIn or at Adam A.G. Shamblin on Twitter. Um, I'm a really prominent lurker on those spaces. So, uh, you know, if there's anything you want me to see, um, feel free to hit me up. Awesome. Well, again, like I said, I, I, I do thank you for spending time with us. And for you, the viewers out there, I know they appreciate it as well. Uh, but that's about it for our interview. So thanks again, Adam. Stay tuned, everybody, though, because we're going to be back in just a few moments with more Technado after this. 
My name is Dana Morrison. I'm the IT director at Grace Christian School in Raleigh, North Carolina. IT directors often hoard so much knowledge that it's hard for their team members to learn. IT Pro TV has given us the ability to level up our technicians to a point where they can decide this is important for me to learn. I would recommend IT Pro TV uh, to any IT team. It's just a great tool uh, for any IT professional. All right, welcome back. That was a great interview, guys. And, and I'm really wishing that this was a time that we had put together that buzzword bingo that we've <laughs> talked about, Don, because we had that little moment there where we, we had a few. We had Synergy, which is, that's got to be like the free square, yeah. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I got, we got containers in there. Yeah. We had, uh, I mean, just all sorts of stuff. We talk about drones or AI? I don't remember. Uh, no machine learning. No machine we learning. did dodge yeah. that one. Machine learning, yeah. Although I've said it now. So everybody should have bingo at this yeah. point. <laughs> Would you call Electron a, a, a buzzword? Yet I, I, I hadn't um, heard much about that, yeah. so that was it's that getting was there scary. just because so many applications are being developed in it because it's it's easy for people to launch that. Um, but man, it, the world is so polarized on it. It's it's interesting. I, I, I enjoyed hearing from somebody who actually works with it every day. Is it is it like blockchain? <laughs> kind of, except it's actually useful. Oh, like blockchain okay. isn't. <laughs> well, it's, it's great for Bitcoin. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, that's what I'm putting in all of the stockings, by the way, for my it's family. Bitcoin. 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 Yeah, just yeah. Well, not you can working. actually get Bitcoin. You can. Yeah. It's like coal. <laughs> <laughs> Worthless. Yeah. Here, throw this away for me. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, for joining us today. We want to let you know about a couple of things and, and ways you can check us out. First of all, we've got a lot of webinars uh, that uh, we've got coming up in the new year. Uh, I've actually just done our last one here in December on IT pros versus phishing scams. Uh, but you can check out all the archived ones and sign up for new ones uh, over here at itpro.tv slash webinars. So be sure uh, to check that out and find out which ones are coming up and which ones uh, you've missed that you want to go back and check out. Uh, also want to let you know about a special offer we have uh, for all the viewers and listeners of Technado. Uh, head on over to go.itpro.tv slash Technado. I've got some information about uh, business plans so you can get some free uh, demos there and, and a team trial so you guys can try it out. Also, if you're an individual, you can sign up for a membership with a 30% off code of Technado30 at checkout and uh, save for the lifetime of your subscription to IT Pro TV. And I really can't think of anything better besides Bitcoin uh, to, <laughs> to give or to get yourself really uh, for, for Christmas and, and the New Year. So uh, I know you guys already have it, so I'll have to think of something else um, to get you. But Guys, thank you so much for that great interview today, and thanks, Daniel, for uh, for sitting in here and giving us your perspective on containers and containers. <laughs> Good to have you. Glad to help. <laughs> all right. Uh, thanks so much, Don, and thank you all for watching. We will see you next week right here on Technado.